2: He said, this day, because of his profession of faith in Christ, seeing him as a king that was about to enter into his eventual kingdom, he professed his faith in him, Jesus responded and said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. That is in heaven. So that's the seventh and final provision in the list that I came up with. That is the hope of heaven. It becomes a reality for us. And by the way, that text is found in Luke's gospel in chapter 23, verses 42 and 43.
0: The world that we live in is hurting and broken. There are many people without homes, food, or water. We live in this sinful world only in passing. Jesus has prepared a perfect place for each person who places their trust in Him. In heaven, we will be with Jesus for eternity. There will be no more crying or pain, only joy and peace in the presence of our King. And because we have this great treasure waiting for us when we go to be with Jesus, our time on earth should be spent sharing about Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, as he continues his message, The Three Phases of Salvation.
2: to begin by sharing a cross-reference uh, with you from 2 Peter. So the second epistle that Peter uh, wrote to the churches, and it's found in chapter 1 and verse 21. So quickly turn there with me. And there, uh, Peter reminds us, for prophecy never never came by the will of man, so it's not something that man can just, you know, conjure up, but rather holy men of God, selected by God, God working through them, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, though these men were divinely impelled to record God's communication that had come to them, it is highly improbable that they fully understood all that was given them and all that they had wrote down. Notice Peter tells us there in verses uh, 10 and 11 that they inquired and searched diligently. In other words, they sought to understand the revelations that they had received of God. So though faithful in preserving God's truth, at times they were confused as to its meaning. Now like for example, let me give you a, a, a prophecy, in fact it's the first prophecy concerning Jesus in all of the Bible back in uh, Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15. So it's recorded there for us if you want to turn, but I'll uh, read it for you. So Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you, and now he is addressing the devil, who had just tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God is addressing the devil. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, so the suggestion here is that would be through her seed that the devil would ultimately be defeated. And of course, that's a reference to Jesus Christ. So this is the first prophecy concerning our Lord and all of the Bible. And he shall bruise your head. So he will strike the final blow solidly, uh, once and for all, defeating Satan there at the cross. But you shall bruise his heel. I'm referring to, yes, he, uh, he would have the opportunity to be able to afflict uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus, dying on the cross. But notice, uh, the greater blow would be struck by Jesus, who would bruise uh, his uh, head. Okay, so that's the first prophecy that's recorded for us in the Bible concerning Jesus. So, we have then, first of all, a series of prophecies concerning our Lord, redemptive years before the cross, before Jesus was ever nailed to the cross. God made it known that he would provide an eternal victory over the devil and sin. But let me ask you a question. Do you think the one who recorded these words, and most attribute the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, to uh, Moses, do you think that Moses actually uh, knew or grasped the meaning of that prophecy? I don't think so. Let me give you another example of this. This one's from the book of Lamentations, chapter 1 in verse 12. Let me read it for you. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Now this is a prophecy concerning Christ's death on the cross. Behold and see, if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord, or God the Father, has inflicted in the day of his fierce uh, anger. Okay, so Jeremiah who is the writer of the book of Lamentations, gives us another prophetic picture of the cross. And here he draws our attention to the indifference of millions to the sufferings of Christ on the cross for our sins, giving no care or thought to his gracious provision of salvation. And I can hear God crying out uh, in this verse of Scripture. But, Anyway, I'm sure Jeremiah didn't understand, even while he wrote it, he was inspired by the Spirit to do so, I'm sure that Jeremiah didn't understand the full implication of his announcement. So just another example of this. Isaiah chapter 53, uh, one of the more familiar verses of Scripture, I'm sure for uh, many of you, depicting the sufferings of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53, if you turn there with me, verses 4 through a uh, seven, surely he was born, he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him that is Jesus the iniquity of us all. So what we have here is a minute, detailed account of Jesus' crucifixion and its purpose. And once again, I believe Isaiah, who's the fellow who was inspired by God to uh, write that portion of Scripture, was perplexed concerning those things the Spirit had constrained him to write. Well, the point, and I've gone a long way to make the point, the point simply is that this, These redeemed servants of God did not wholly or fully understand God's entire scope of truth. As we know it, fully declared in the Bible and confirmed by Jesus himself. Like, for example, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 13, and verse 17, Jesus put it this way. Many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you have seen and did not see it and to hear what you have heard, and they did not hear it. So I want you to think about that. We are a privileged group of characters, possessing God's revelations in their entirety, with the possibility of comprehending and understanding them. But the Old Testament saints, they only had the capacity to be able to look forward to the cross by faith. But we through the Holy Spirit, we can discover God's complete program for man. Now, it's a blessing, but it also carries along with it a tremendous responsibility. Because we are told, like for example in Luke's Gospel in chapter 12, Jesus himself said, With a greater knowledge of truth, often comes greater responsibility to obey it. But here's the problem. Regrettably, privilege often leads to neglect and procrastination. I mean, there are millions of people who have heard the gospel, are familiar with God's plan of salvation, and yet they do nothing about it. There are people who attend church week in and week out who have only a head knowledge of the gospel, uh, but have never experienced it in their hearts. To those people, Jesus would say, remember Lot's wife. Luke's gospel in chapter 17 and verse 32. Though almost saved, that is Lot's wife, she was eternally lost. Having heard the word, even starting to obey the word, what happened? She turned back out of Sodom and she perished. She serves as a warning to all who are undecided, lest the same judgment falls upon them. Now, someone may be thinking, well, you know, I, I know the truths of God. I know that Jesus is the way, the only way, and and I know my salvation and my eternal destiny is only based upon the decision that I make for Jesus Christ. I know that, but I'm having such a good time, you know, doing the things that I want to do with my life. And and listen, you know, at the end of my life, maybe when I'm on my deathbed, you know, I'll make that cry, I'll cry out to God, I'll make that decision. For Jesus. Well, first of all, you don't know if you're going to have that opportunity. That is a deathbed conversion experience. And also, I want you to think about this think about all of the time. If you don't make that decision for Christ today or soon, think about all of the years that are wasted. You know, how quickly life goes by. And just you could have been the recipient of all of God's blessings over those many years that you procrastinated. And that's why the Bible tells us today is the acceptable day of our salvation. Because you know what? Tomorrow is unsure. So anyway, uh, that's the first phase of our salvation that is its prophecies. Well, let's move on. The second uh, phase of salvation is the price of our great salvation. And that seems to be suggested there in verse 11. Notice Peter mentions here the sufferings of uh, Christ. In other words, uh, that was the price that had to be paid that we might experience this great salvation. And so Peter refers to the sufferings of Christ. You know, there was a time when Peter uh, really didn't understand the sufferings of Christ. For example, as a cross-reference for this, if you quickly turn with me to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16. And Jesus at this time is preparing his disciples for his leaving them, And so he speaks about this divine appointment that he has in Jerusalem to be crucified. And so he's sharing it with his disciples. And in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, we are told from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter, notice the way that he responded, took him aside, that is Jesus, and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, because what Peter had suggested here was actually uh, motivated by the devil, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but rather the things of men. But anyway, that was then, concerning Peter, and this is now. And it is obvious Peter had obtained the full understanding and the significance of Christ's death in his heart. Now, how important is this? I want you to think about that. I mean, his atoning work is man's only hope, and without it, there cannot be any salvation. Now, despite God's full revelation, there still remains today a gross misunderstanding of the true meaning of the cross. For some, it's just a symbol of the Christian faith, a charm, uh, a medal that we wear around our neck or a cross or a bumper sticker that we put on the uh, bumper of our uh, vehicles. Uh, Some approach it like some historical event that had taken place in history. Or the object of religious sentiment, but the Bible teaches us that the cross represents two specific things. The first of which, of course, is salvation, and then the second is submission. You see, at Calvary, the price for sin was paid forever. When Jesus hung on that cross in the last few moments of his life, before he dismissed his spirit, he cried out, It is finished. And literally, that phrase, it is finished, can be translated from the original Greek language, pay, or payment received. You see, the sin debt of mankind was wiped out. Eternal payment was made so that all who believe upon Jesus might be saved. Acts chapter 4, and verse 12, there we are told, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be uh, saved. Okay, but the cross means more than salvation. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16, in verse uh, 24, so salvation through the person of Jesus Christ, but then also Jesus himself said concerning the, the cross, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself pick up his cross, and follow me. So therefore, the cross also represents complete submission to God. You see, it's not enough to just say, I believe, but submission must be coupled together with belief, our faith in Christ. Listen, I think that there are too many who have received the Christ of the cross, but not the cross of Christ. In the book of Galatians, here's a cross reference for you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Paul said there, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so the price of our great salvation. Now, let's go on. Let's go back to our text. Let's read verse 12 uh, once again. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire uh, to look into. Okay, now, what are those magnificent things that were proclaimed by the preachers of Christ's blessed gospel? Well, we're talking about now the provisions God has made possible through Christ's sacrifice for all who come to him for salvation. And that brings us to our third point, the third phase of our salvation, and that is its provisions. And there are many. There are seven of them. I came up with a list of seven. You could probably even add to that, but I think that these are the top uh, seven. So if you're taking notes, please write these down, and then sometime during the week, go back, ponder them. Meditate upon them. I'm going to give you some cross references for each one of them, and I just hope and trust that it will cause you to become more appreciative of what God has done for us through His Son Jesus uh, Christ. So the first provision that I want you to consider is eternal life for all. You see, no one is excluded. I want you. I want to emphasize for all. No one is excluded. That is anyone who is willing to receive him, will be saved. Let me give you a cross-reference now. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2, in verse 9. There the writer declares, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels in his becoming a, a man, for the, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone." And so the first provision, eternal life for all, no one is excluded. Anyone who is willing to receive him will be saved. The second provision is simply having fellowship with God, which was made possible also by Jesus. Let me give you a cross-reference. Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were once were afar off, that was our uh, state prior to our making a decision for Christ, our B.C. days, before Christ days, is the way that I always refer to it, but have been brought near, how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. So therefore, now we have fellowship with God. So that's the second provision of our salvation. Thirdly, we have access to God in prayer through our mediator. In 1 Timothy, in chapter 2, in verses 5 and 6. There we are told that we have access to God before our great high priest, our mediator, who is Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and uh, 6. Fourthly, the fourth provision, that is, the righteous demands of the law are forever satisfied, delivering the believer from its bondage. Like, for example, in the book of Colossians, here's a cross-reference for you, chapter 2, in verse Uh, 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, referring to the Old Testament law, which we were unable to keep, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, that is Jesus, having nailed it to the cross. And so therefore the righteous demands of the law were forever satisfied, delivering the believer from its bondage. Fifthly. Through this great salvation, we have provision for the forgiveness for our sins, which is assured, and that is we'll never stand in judgment before God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And then sixth, we become the recipient of, of God's righteousness, so that's just another one of God's uh, provision. Second Corinthians in chapter five, verse twenty-one: For He made Him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Second Corinthians, chapter five, and verse twenty-one. So we become the recipient of God's righteousness, and then lastly, if you're taking count, this would be number seven. We have the hope of heaven, and that becomes a reality to us. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and one of the thieves uh, that was hanging alongside of him saw him through the eyes of faith, and he cried out to our Lord, and he said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And how did Jesus respond? He said, this day, Because of his profession of faith in Christ, seeing him as a king that was about to enter into his eventual kingdom, he professed his faith in him. Jesus responded and said, this day you shall be with me in paradise, that is in heaven. So that's the seventh and final provision in the list that I came up with. That is the hope of heaven. It becomes a reality for us. And by the way, that text is found in Luke's gospel in chapter 23, verses 42 and 43 three. So how wonderful are these provisions. And they're all ours. That is, if we have received Christ into our hearts. The Lord filling our heart to overflowing joy and peace, believing until we meet him face to face. And listen, as we close out this evening's message, I hope you're enjoying this blessed provision that He has made for each and every one of us, as well as myself. In my
1: Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house,
0: where I long to be. Oh, my Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of 1 Peter together with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that faith can be just plain hard, especially in a world that tries to pull you in so many different directions. The Apostle Peter understood this, so he wrote to remind believers to remain steadfast in their faith. God is faithful to meet you right where you're at, so lean into Him and trust in who He is. If you'd like to hear today's message again, Just visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, HarvestNYC.org. Again, that's HarvestNYC.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at HarvestNYC at Verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We love seeing how God is using His Word in incredibly powerful ways. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of 1 Peter next time, right here on In My Father's House.
1: trouble